Really great to have everybody here today. If you're new and have not been with us before, uh, we welcome you. We're glad that you're here. Uh, we're, we're happy to have you come, be a part of this congregation, this fellowship. If you get to the place where you're interested in giving us some information, there's a card in the back of the pew in front of you. If you could fill that out um, with a name, an address, uh, contact information, uh, that way we can get you on our um, little weekly e-news uh, letter that we have and uh, just get you on our mailing list. We don't, we don't uh, give you a whole bunch of information, but we're also here to serve you and help you. So if you have a need of any kind, please uh, feel free to contact me or uh, let us know uh, what the nature is that we can do to help you out with. We'd really appreciate it. Last Sunday, we were all decorated up with Christmas items all around here in the sanctuary. And this Sunday, it's been transformed sort of back to where we were before. And, you know, some people think we have these little, little who does that? Um, it just sort of, one week it's one way, and the next week we come back and it's another way. And we have some stealth servants here at our church. Um, you know, a stealth is, uh, you know, below the radar, unseen uh, people who just come in and transform things. Um, I was out a lot of the week, and it was a real pleasure to come in and all of a sudden just see it's done. And so um, I'm not going to identify them by name because I think that they prefer to remain somewhat anonymous, but uh, we are so thankful to our stealth servants here at Community Church who just see a need and meet it. So thank you. Let's pray a moment. God, thank you for this time that we have to come and learn in front of you all those things which you have shown us throughout history and the Bible, and your ways with your people so that we can learn from them ourselves. We thank you for the way you provide for our lives and for the call that you've given to each and every one of us. And the extent of your love is so great that you gave your one and only son, Jesus, to die that we might have life in his name. So we are grateful to you for what you provided for us. And we ask God that you'll open our minds and our hearts today by your Holy Spirit that you might be our teacher. In Jesus' name, amen. We are in this journey called The Story. Uh, we have some books. Uh, we still have 31. We have 31 weeks of this. So uh, Chris is here, and I suppose we can get some more books uh, coming because I'm sure we have some people that don't have them, would like to have them. Uh, so we will get those available, and we usually just set them out. They're free. We give them out so you can join us in this journey. But just uh, coming with what we're doing today, uh, we're going to learn something about God uh, that really he's tried to demonstrate over and over and over again. He set Abraham apart, and he told Abraham he would become the father of many nations. And uh, he said, I will go, you go to a land, I'm going to show you what that land is, and it was a land called Canaan, it was a land flowing with milk and honey. Abraham left his home place, he went down through an area and traveled with uh, his wife Sarah and his nephew Lot. And they uh, settled uh, in this area here, what was to become the promised land of Israel. And when uh, Abraham died, then God uh, went through a whole process of, of journeying with his people. They ended up in Egypt because of a famine. And um, they were provided for there until there was a pharaoh who didn't know who they were and became threatened by their numbers. He enslaved them. 
And then as you know the story goes, Moses became their deliverer that took them out of Egypt to lead them to the promised land. And God, by his great love, demonstrated miraculous things for them. His deliverance out of Egypt, the separation of the seas, the provision of manna in the desert, uh, water coming out from places that were dry and barren. He was with them that whole time, showing his presence, demonstrating to him that they have a God who loves and cares for them and wants to set them apart as a special chosen people for him so that everyone else around them could see who God was and how he worked by the way he worked through his chosen people. Well, it didn't seem to connect for the people because they were constantly grumbling about the, what they didn't have rather than being thankful for what they did have and what God was trying to do for them. And so he, he, their punishment was that they would, those group of people, that generation, would not see the promised land that a whole new group would, including Moses wouldn't see it. So he rose up Joshua, and Joshua then led this new group of people into the promised land, overcame Jericho, took over the land, drove the people out that were such idolatrous pagan people, worshiping Baal and, and uh, setting up Asherah poles and high places and temples and shrines and priests and priestesses. And they established the rule of God in the land with the people, with the idea that that was the way in which they were to begin to live. God wanted it to be a theocracy. He wanted to use servants of his, but he gave them a law. He gave them a declaration. He gave them a constitution, if you will, to follow. But more than anything else, he wanted them to be satisfied, the people, with God as their one and only. It wasn't very long before the people began to be dissatisfied. They began to be dissatisfied. They wanted to be like all the people around them who had kings. And so Samuel at that time was the one who was the, the, the prophet or the judge of the time. And they came to him and they said, we want a king like everyone else. And Samuel was, was grieved stricken in his heart. And, uh, and God said, you warn them because I'm going to give them what they want. But it's going to cost them. It's going to cost them. It's, it's going to cost them in treasure. It's going to cost them in independence. It's going to cost them in ways that it costs people that ask for kings who will begin to rule over them and ask things of them and direct their lives. They've, and he said, Samuel, they have not rejected you. They have rejected me. And so they set Saul as the first king over Israel. Saul was chosen because he looked like a king, handsome, tall, strong, but he didn't know, really know God. God appeared to him, showed him something about himself, and hoped that Saul then would become a godly leader. It wasn't very long before Saul was going off track, and then David, this, this wonderful young shepherd boy who had a heart for God, a man after God's own heart, was anointed to be the next king before Saul had even left his post. And Saul became so jealous that, that David had to go on the run. And then finally, uh, after 40 years, David became the king of Israel. And uh, he established the reign of Israel, but he was a man that continued to see God as the one who was over all authority and the one in whom the people would direct their attention and 
they did it through worship, and he wanted to build this magnificent temple to God, and God said, that will be for your son Solomon. David had a failing. He had his failing with Bathsheba, as we all know. And I think that in some cases, God wanted to show the flaws of his leaders because our tendency is to set leaders up and make them as gods. So it was important for them to see and know and understand that there's only one who is perfect in that capacity. Now, it's interesting for people because in some cases, we don't have a problem making a perfect person a god-like figure or even deify them. But when it comes to God taking on flesh, deity becoming man, we, we, we have a hard time with that. But that's what he did with Jesus, as we all know. And we celebrated his birth at Christmas time. So anyway, uh, Solomon became king. And this was the golden age of Israel. The golden age. Peace, prosperity, incredible wealth. A wise king, the wisest man that ever lived. But Solomon was an accommodator, and so he married, as I said last week, he had uh, 700 wives and 300 concubines. He, he had foreign women of all types, shapes, sizes, and they brought foreign religion back in. So the very religions that they drove out when they took over the land of Canaan began to make their way back into the life and the culture of the people of Israel. And it was unfathomable, but that's what began to happen. In addition to that, because Solomon had this great kingdom that he had to keep feeding with money and, and, and resources, it all started coming from the people themselves. And so this, this uh, thing that Samuel said would happen to these people if they had a king began to really happen, and they became very oppressed. And it began to uh, implode and, and Solomon's disobedience to God, finally, finally, after all this time, it hit a tipping point where God put in place those things which would begin to divide and break up this great group of people and this great theocracy that he had put in place. It, and, and that's what we're looking at as we begin this chapter 14. Solomon had a son named Rehoboam. But separately, there was another gentleman named Jeroboam. And Jeroboam was told that he would be the next king. When, when Solomon found out that that was going to be happening, he sought to kill Jeroboam because he wanted his son Rehoboam to become the king. And so when uh, Jeroboam fled to Egypt, so Solomon died, and then they had this big gathering, of, and the people themselves came and they said, we would like to have you relieve us of all of this tax and, and the oppression that our lives have lived in. If you're going to be king, please, would you be wise enough to let that up a little bit? Well, Rehoboam went to Solomon's advisors, and Solomon's advisors said, yes. It has become too oppressive for the people. You need to let up on them. Then Rehoboam went to his cohorts, his peers, who now were in the court with Rehoboam, seeing all of this wealth, and they wanted to, be a, wanted to have a piece of that. And they said to Rehoboam, no, tell the people that it's going to be even more, more difficult, more harsh on them. And so Jeroboam took 
this vast group of people, the majority, they went up and they started to live in the northern kingdom, the northern part, and they became known as the, uh, he became known as the king of Israel. And Rehoboam was Judah. He stayed in Jerusalem because he, David wanted to track this line of David safely through. And so he just was one tribe, Judah. So this, he was the king of Judah and the king of Israel. But both kings were, were corrupt. They both did evil in the sight of the Lord. They built, both began to invite back in all of this pagan worship that had taken place. So they set up these statues. They set up Asherah poles. We have an example of what an Asherah pole looked like. It really was just like this, this statue that they would fashion and form and shape so that it would look like they began to make out of their own hands these idols. Remember God's first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me, and you shall not fashion any idols. Well, they began to take, these are called Asherah poles. You read that in the Bible. That's what sort of one of those looks like. They began to worship Baal, who was, was uh, very dark. He was the god of fertility, the god of rain, the god of, of uh, thunder. And uh, uh, so these... these these other gods began to be worshipped and honored in place of, of, of the one God who loved them absolutely the most. And the people were sacrificing this one true, awesome, amazing, mighty, powerful, loving God for this. It's hard to imagine that they would do that. But, but when they turned, they hit a tipping point. They turned. They had male cult prostitutes there. They had all kinds of activity. They have priests. and All of the Canaanite religion returned into that land from the foreign people. And these people that were meant to be set apart as a people for God were corrupted to the extent that there was no more real sense of the presence of God anywhere, anywhere, except for a remnant. God always had a group of people unknown at that time or prophets, who did not take their knee and bow to those idols that we just saw. They continued to maintain a faithful following to God in spite of all of the, the direction that was going against them. They, they, they even were at risk for their very lives because they were so different now from everyone around them. Rehoboam and Jeroboam were bad kings, but it just got worse and worse and worse. But in Judah, there became a king named Asa. And Asa, for 40 years, loved God. So he got rid of the idols. He, he cleaned out stuff. He kind of got people moving back towards God. While in the northern kingdom, it hit its low point with Ahab and Jezebel. Those two were as evil as evil gets. And as I said, in the middle of that mess, there was a prophet. His name was Elijah. And Elijah was raised up in this context to become a spokesman for God as a prophet, predominantly with Ahab and Jezebel. And the, the famous story of Elijah, which we'll learn about next week, was you know confronting the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, the whole thing about rain and all that sort of thing. 
And he thought, Elijah thought, in all of this population of people, he was the only one left to speak for and follow and honor God. And God said to him, in his lowest point, in Elijah's lowest point, I still have others. I still have a remnant. You are not the only one. And that brought him great comfort. But this divided kingdom ended up into the disintegration of this grand group of people that were known as the Israelites. And they were at war, not just with neighbors anymore. They were at war with each other. Constantly and perpetually. So what about all of us today? What does all that have to do with you and I? Well, we belong to a kingdom. And we have a king. We have a Lord. And our kingdom isn't restricted by geography. It is the kingdom of God. And we are the citizens of that kingdom. And Jesus is the Lord of that kingdom. And that's where we're supposed to be. And that's where we're supposed to invest. And that's who we're supposed to be. It's really important for us to understand that. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 14. Let's read that together. We're going to bring it up here on the screen. Here is what it says in the New Testament about you and I who we are, how we're to live, what God has in store for us, how we're to put our focus. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. He wants to use us as his people to demonstrate to the world around us. It says here in this verse, we will be like aliens and strangers to all the world around us, those of us who follow Jesus Christ as our King of kings and Lord of lords. Those of us who are citizens in the kingdom of heaven, that we would not be penetrated and compromised by all that's around us in our culture and in our world today, to allow that to creep in and water down and transform and change our commitment to be fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. 
we become quite agitated, as Christians sometimes, at the direction that takes place in this country because we feel powerless over those things. These things will happen. Our response is not to just become so angry and upset and obsessed with wasted energy on a kingdom, meaning this country, that was never meant to be an everlasting kingdom. It is not. It will not be. We put our focus in the wrong place. Our kingdom is a kingdom without end. We are citizens in that kingdom, and we will have more in common with believers in other places all around the world as a part of this kingdom of God than we will have with anyone else that's around us, including people that would be called Americans like us. We will be a distinct group of people. God wants to establish us as this royal priesthood, this holy nation, this people, this remnant, like existed at the time of the, of the broken and corrupt kings of Israel. That's who we are. There was a, a popular little t-shirt that went around that for a period of time and said, why are you so mad, bro? This anger. Why are you so mad, bro? I'm afraid that believers in Christ have become mad. Why are you so mad, bro? Those who follow Jesus should be filled with joy and have that feeling like Daniel Conti has in Sierra Leone, one of the worst developed countries in the world, whose mouth isn't big enough to express all the joy that he has stored up within his heart and his soul. We, we should have people coming and saying, why are you so happy, sis? What you got to smile about? We are a royal priesthood, a kingdom set apart for God with Jesus as our king. We need no other. We need no other. All other leaders, all other rulers that God puts in place and truly believe this. They're there. He put Rehoboam. He put Jeroboam. He put those people in place. They're human. They're flawed. And we were told that it's going to continue to be that way. So we stand apart. You know, there's a lot of pressure for people to pray, what they call non-sectarian prayers. Do you know what non-sectarian prayers are? It means that you don't identify with any particular religion, but you identify with all religions. Isn't that what was going on back in Israel during this time when everything was unraveling in that country was they were just embracing everything? And they'd lost the distinction of who they were? but they didn't need to jam it down people's throats. They, you know, we follow a loving God who we, first of all, received forgiveness from. He'll do the judging, my friends. We do the receiving. We do the blessing. We do the following. Solomon, with everything that he had, finally came to this conclusion. I shared this list last week, but this is where the scripture is. Ecclesiastes, 
chapter 12, 13 and 14, talks about when all was said and done for Solomon. He'd been everywhere. He'd done anything. He'd had all that there is. We sitting here today could not even imagine having all that he had. And this is what he says. Now, all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it be good or evil. That's it. That's our simple task. Not easy, but make sure, my friends, that we stay true to our Lord Jesus Christ. The meaning of Baal is Lord and King. So how ironic these fake, false shadows of what the real God was. Hard for us to imagine exchanging that for the God that we have. Hard to imagine. Nina Wilkinson has a prayer phrase that she uses in regard to people and a lot of times, and she said, Lord, bring them the easiest way they'll come. This is God. He loves us so much that he will do anything. He will bless us if that means that that gains our love. But if we violate that, he will lovingly discipline us. Whatever it takes to bring us into a love relationship with him, that's what he's going to do. He is so passionate for you. It says, what father who loves his children doesn't discipline them when they need discipline? So when we say that, we need to understand that in our, why is it, and oftentimes this is true, we need to hit bottom, hit pain, hit hardship, hit brokenness, hit a hit an awful place in our lives before we finally look to him. He's going to let you go down that path so that hopefully if you hit that bottom, you will. But how much easier would it be if you just love him in the first place? And it doesn't mean you won't hit hardship because you will, but you will have a God who will never leave you or forsake you and be there like a rock for you. A rock. He will do that. Trust Him. Turn your attention and focus to Him. And let's continue to pray like for leaders like Asa, who did take a, a vile country that had broken and lost its way and through his leadership position turned it around. Let's pray for God to raise up leaders. But in the meantime, know that he's got a plan even with the ones that we have. And we, as believers in Jesus, that's our king. That's our leader. He is not term limited. There's no limitation on the term of Jesus as our Lord and King. No term limitation. There is no... uh, coup that will ever take place that will dethrone him. He will forever be on that throne for us. The same yesterday, today, and forever. Fix your eyes on him, the author and perfecter of your faith, and walk 
as joyful, believing people in him. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have allowed us to be your people. You have chosen us. You have set us apart. You have adopted us as your children. You have brought us into your family. You have set us up as a kingdom that, that exists not only on earth as we pray, but also in heaven. And that as we live and walk this life, we pray that you will help our souls and our minds not be contaminated and stirred up by the corruption and the, the problems that we see around us, but that we would live as people of, of love and light bearers to point the way to those who are lost in darkness. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing a song, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. That's going to be our closing song today, so let's stand together. The words will be up here on the screen. Wonderful. Let's form a circle today real quick. We do this just um, as a church family to eyeball one another so we see who our family is and the people that we have that rely on and uh, to support one another. So we'll share a few joys and concerns. I'm not going to hold a hand today because I've had a cold. But uh, if you don't want to either, just put them in front of you like this. That if you want to hold a hand, that's great. Close in so we all fit, everybody. Just squeeze around here. Come on down here. Ben, I'm not that sick. <laughs> All right, here we go. Joys and concerns. Well, yes. My wife's grandson, who's in a coma, he's, he's in a terrible motocross accident, and some of you know about this, you've been in prayer, but they said that he'd never come out of this coma that he's been in for two full months. The doctor said that he's the rest of his life. 
and through all, <coughs> through all the prayer that he's received, God has created a miracle. He's performed a miracle. And he has come out of the coma. He still needs our support and our prayers. But, uh, and praise the Lord. We prayed for 12-year-old Sammy, who's been in a coma for two months. He woke up this week, and uh, just uh, a real praise. And thanks for sharing that, Mike. And keep praying, because there's a long ways to go yet. All right, others, joys, concerns. Yes, Jenny. Announcement, okay. Thank you very much. Others have something to share? Anything at all? Anybody? Uh, yes. Yay, that's good. Yes, thank you. Yep, glad you were protected in that. Someone else had something somewhere? Back over here. Tamara, everybody, this is Tamara. Great to see you, Tamara. Really great to see you. And have twins now. I think we have, uh, did I see Carissa here somewhere? Carissa has twins too, so the nursery is uh, pretty busy down there today. Okay. <laughs> Anybody else? All right. God bless you guys. Um, God is with you. He loves you. He will take you through thick and thin no matter what it is. Don't ever bail on that because he'll never bail on you. The Lord bless you and keep you. Lord, make his face shine upon you, be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace this day and forever. Amen. Sing Amen. Thank you for being here. <laughs>